Thinking about Southside Church online today, as well as Southside Church in person, and maybe you're listening to this podcast, like tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, I want to tell you a little bit about myself, because I don't do that enough, okay? Uh, I, I want to tell you that I really care about you. Now, maybe we've never met, and maybe we never will, but the truth is, I care about you, and I pray for you every week. Specifically, I wanted you to know that this week, I prayed that the words that God gave me to speak to you would inspire you and challenge you and would bring you help and hope. So I have very, very high expectations for today. Every once in a while, I'll hear somebody say, adulting is hard. You ever hear that? Adulting is hard. And I guess there's something to that, right? But I think growing up is actually harder. Like adulting might be hard, but I think growing up is actually harder. And it starts pretty early. Like you gotta learn to crawl, and then you gotta learn to walk, and all the bumps and bruises that come along with that. And then potty training, it's difficult. And right around the time that you kind of got that figured out, it's time to start school, and now you've got to start trying to learn to get along with people who aren't in your family. And right around the time you kind of think you got that, man, you've got to learn to navigate this whole friend group thing and intimidation and peer pressure. And you're just starting to survive that, and along comes puberty. Puberty. Growth spurts, or lack thereof. For guys, it's the dreaded voice change. Right? Acne. Acne for days. Acne for months. Acne for years. And right around the time you feel like, man, I think I'm going to keep my head above water on this whole puberty thing, you think to yourself, you know what I need to do? I need to start dating. That would be a cool idea. And you put your heart out there and you get it like trampled a couple times. And right around that same time, people start walking up to you saying, hey, what are you going to get up to after uh, high school? What are you going to do after you graduate? What are your plans? Like, what are your goals? What are your aspirations upon graduation? And you're like, no idea. Like, get rid of my acne? <laughs> Learn to love again? You know? Maybe make some craft dinner? I, that's all I got right now. So while it might be true to an extent that adulting is hard, I would submit to you that growing up is harder. But it sure beats the alternative. Like, the alternative is stagnation. The alternative is stuck. The alternative is, well, never growing up, right? Like, I would hate to think about someone's life if they were just trapped at the potty training stage. Right? Or right around that time when you first get into dating. It's funny the way that you describe to people your first kiss, how cool and romantic it was. It wasn't at all. Your first kiss was awkward and messy, and you biffed it. Okay? So no one wants to go back to that stage. So while growing up is hard, it beats the alternative. Now, that's true physically, but it's also true intellectually. Like, you don't want to be, hey, man, I knew everything that I was ever going to know when I was seven years old. That's great. It's also true emotionally. It's kind of shocking when you walk through the grocery store and you see a two-year-old, like, having a fit and falling in it, right, and knocking down boxes of Honey Nut Cheerios. You know what would be even more shocking is you at 32 years old having a fit and falling in it and knocking boxes of Honey Nut Cheerios off the shelves. That would be weird. Growth is hard, but it beats the alternative. It's true physically, it's true intellectually, it's true emotionally, and it is true spiritually. Spiritual growth is hard, but it sure beats the alternative. Because I think the world has had just about enough 
of people who say on one hand, I am a follower of Jesus, but they never move. Like he's up there leading, but you're not going anywhere. And somewhere inside they know that they're supposed to be looking to you to see things like love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, but you are showing no evidence of any of the above because you're stuck. See, the thing is, spiritual growth is hard, but it really beats the alternative, which is stagnation. See, today I want to talk about this concept of repentance. Repentance is difficult because repentance is growth. Repentance is spiritual growth, and it's difficult, but it sure beats the alternative. I was 22 years old. Corinna was 21 when we got married in Red Deer. Afterwards, we moved to Abbotsford, and I remember as soon as we like, unloaded our stuff into our little one-bedroom apartment, I set out to find a job. I went to every construction company that I could find. I went to some road paving crews for two straight days and I didn't find anything. You're like, Mike, it was only two days. I know, but I'm really impatient. I was starting to panic. So after two days, I was talking to a friend, said they worked at this restaurant called Earl's and that I should swing by because they were always looking for somebody. Now, I had never imagined myself working at a restaurant. In fact, I had no desire to work at a restaurant, but I was panicked and I really needed a job. So the next morning I went into Earl's and had kind of an impromptu interview with the manager. At the end of it he said, look, there's only one person I need right now, I need a day bartender. Do you want the job? I said, I do, I need a job. So I became a day bartender, but I realized right away that the real money at Earl's restaurant was in waitering, we called it serving. So every afternoon when I would finish my day bartending shift, I would walk up to the manager and say, hey, do you have any serving shifts for tonight? Do you have any serving shifts for tonight? Do you have any serving shifts for tonight? For like a month straight, I did that. And finally, a a month after I started working there, one day, he walked up to me and he said, I'm short-staffed, do you want a shift tonight? I said, I do. I really, really do. He said, it's Friday, it's gonna be busy, but that's okay, it's your first serving shift, I'm just gonna give you three tables but it would really help me. Three tables, get your feet wet, figure out this whole serving thing. I'm like, I am so there, this is gonna be awesome. So I went home, got a quick bite to eat, I came back to Earl's at 5.15 from my 5.30 shift. Now to understand what happened over the next several hours, I need to kind of give you a little bit of background, okay? It was early July in Abbotsford, but the weather was horrific. Okay, all week long it had been cloudy, cold, and rainy, so much so that the patio at Earl's was closed. And it was closed for that Friday night also. In other words, there were no servers scheduled on the patio. That's kind of important because at four o'clock that afternoon, the sun came out. And it went from horrifying to absolutely beautiful out. So by the time I got there at 5.15 from my 5.30 shift, there was a lineup out the door. And everybody, when they got to the front of the line, was saying to the hostess, I would like a seat on the patio. Not her fault, but it became her problem in a hurry. Because the patio wasn't open, there was no server scheduled on the patio. So she went to the other servers that were scheduled, she said, hey, would you take a couple of tables on the patio? And they all said, no. No, I'm good, I got a section inside, I don't. So I walk in at 5.15 for my 5.30 shift, my first waitering shift ever. I'm like, hey, how's it going? 
She's like, hey, are you new? I'm like, well, kind of. I mean, I'm here during the day. She's like, cool. Anyways, what I need you to do is I need you to take a couple tables on the patio. I was like, well, you know, it's my first serving shift, so I just have a little section of three over here, so I think I'm probably good with that. She said, great. Anyways, what I really need you to do, you need to do this for me. I just want to give you a couple tables on the patio. My shift started at 5.30. The way that the Earl's patio worked in Abbotsford at that time is there was four sections of five tables each. By 6 o'clock, the entire patio was full. I had 20 tables on the patio. I know. And three tables inside. I was in a fever dream, okay? Like, but like 6.15, I had lost all will to live. Like I was just kind of, I was like, aimlessly walking around the patio, smiling at people. And finally, like at 6.15, a table of guys, like five guys my age, pulled me over. They're like, hey, any news on our drinks? Now, in that moment, I, I think I had like three choices, okay? First choice is delusion, you know, delusion. Like, any news on your drinks? Absolutely, I got great news in your drinks. Look, there's a bird, and walk away, okay? That was number one, I didn't go with number one. Number two is defeat. And man, did I think about that option. Defeat is this. I'm gonna take off my billfold, I'm gonna put it on this table, I'm gonna walk to the end of the patio, I'm gonna vault over the fence, and I'm not gonna stop walking. I thought about that like non-stop. So delusion, defeat, I didn't choose defeat. The third is just deal with it. Any news on our drinks? I stopped. I said, guys, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. I said, I have absolutely no news on your drinks. I did not place your drink order. What's worse than that is I have absolutely no idea what you ordered. I said, and the news gets worse because I see there's no menus left on your table, which says to me, you probably placed a food order with me. I have no recollection of that. <laughs> Did not place your food order, have no idea what you ordered. So here's the deal. I said, you guys could leave right now, and I wouldn't blame you one bit. Or, if you want, you could give me your drink order and give me your food order again. I'll try to write it down neatly and actually get you some food and drink sometime tonight. And I stood there, and they're looking at me, and I'm looking at them, and they're looking at me, and I'm looking at them. I think they're going to be so mad. And I said, guys, I am so sorry. It's my first shift. I'm lost. So I'm looking at them, and they're looking at me. The one guy says, which are your tables? I said, the patio. <laughs> they're like, <laughs> like, the patio, I'm like, yeah, like every table, I'll drink the rest of that later, I'm sorry. Okay, so uh, every table on the patio, silence for a second, guy says, we got you. He says, do you have any extra pads of paper? And I did, I did because I was so excited about my serving shift, Corinne packed me three pads of paper for that night and four pans, I was so ready. I said, I, I do, I do have an extra pad of paper. He's like, you got a pen? I'm like, yeah, so I handed him the paper and a pen. You know what those guys did for the rest of the shift? They walked around the patio, they wiped down tables, they filled waters, 
and they took orders for me. And then they would pass me the piece of paper, and I would place it. Now, don't get me wrong. It was still an incredibly difficult night. I made amazing tips, by the way. I think part of it is because those guys walked around the patio saying to people, uh, it's his first night. Make sure you look after him. You know what I mean? Now, I bring all of that up because we're in this six-week series called Five. And, and my goal with this series is that for you and me, that we would just make this year a year of prayer. I'm not talking about moving into a monastery. I'm not talking about learning to play the shofar. I'm not. I'm talking about really simply five steps that we can take in as little as five minutes to make this year a year of prayer. So we talked about the fact that we're going to do a review every day. Just invite Jesus into a review of our last 24 hours. That we're going to rejoice every day. That we're going to look and ask ourselves, man, is there anything that I'm grateful for in my life? Next week, by the way, I want to talk about requesting. Requesting. I really want you, whether you're online or in person right now, I would really love it if you could come back, make sure you join us, and invite others. Because I've been asking myself lately, how much hope am I not experiencing? How much hope am I not experiencing? How much strength am I not seeing? How much joy am I not bringing to the people around me? Because I've never even asked. So don't miss next week, and then we're going to end off this series by talking about reflection, always reminding ourselves of why we have so much hope. But today, I want to talk about repentance. Repentance is hard, because repentance is growth. Repentance is hard, but it really, really beats the alternative. See you spend some time every 24 hours just looking back at your day. And every once in a while, you're going to come across a moment or a series of moments, a thought pattern, something you said, something you did. And you're going to come to God just a little bit, just a little bit. You're going to come to God just a little bit like I walked up to that table of guys on the patio years ago. And you're going to say, God, it's not good. Like, here's the person that I want to be, and here's who I am. Here, here, here's the person that I was created to be, and here's who I am. Like, like, what I want to be is I want to be a person of kindness, but in that moment, I was a person of cruelty. I want to display love, but in that moment, I displayed lust instead. I want to be generous, but I was greedy. I want to be selfless, but I was selfish. I want to be joyful, but I was complaining. I want to be thankful, but I was full of self-pity. Whatever it is, you just come to him, and you say, God, it's not good. And the news gets worse, God, because I've been asking myself lately, and I don't really think I have it in me. <laughs> like, I've been struggling, struggling with this pattern for a while, and I'm not sure that I have it inside of me to do any better. And God looks at you, and this is what he says. He says, I got you. I got you. And you know what happens? It's crazy. What happens is you start to grow. You start to grow. Because, because you realize all of a sudden what it means when you read in the Bible when it says, man, when I, when, when, when I am weak, he is Strong. 
So when I come to him in humility, I experience what it means that, 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 that he strengthens my weakness. I kind of understand what it means like when I feel like I fall short, that he really is the God of more than enough. I come to understand what it means when I feel like I've come to a place in my life where I feel like it's impossible, that he's the God who makes impossible possible. But I'll tell you what you're gonna struggle with. Did I tell you that growth is hard? I said that, right? Growth is hard, but it beats the alternative. Here's where it's hard. Your entire life, you're gonna be faced with the same uh, dilemma that I was faced with on the patio that night. You're gonna be tempted over and over and over again to settle for delusion or defeat. Delusion or defeat instead of dealing with it. There's a verse I love in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Listen to this. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, that's really, really interesting. Your enemy, the devil, so here's the, th- here's the thing. This is what your enemy, the devil, wants for you. He wants you stagnant. You know how sick the world is of people who say they're followers of Jesus and they've never moved. Like Jesus is leading, but too many aren't following. So your enemy, the devil, he wants you stagnant right here. And here's how we do it. Here's how we do it. Here's how he does it. Here's how he does it. He prowls around like a roaring lion. You know how lions hunt? Male lions aren't great hunters. Male lions are not great hunters. They sleep 20 hours a day. 20 hours a day they sleep. They're not great hunters. The, the real killing machines are female lions, the lionesses. Pound for pound, the best hunters on land. Okay? So this is a way of pride of lions hunts. Male lions, not great. But one of the things they can really do, they can roar. They can really, really roar. A male lion can roar so loud that you can hear it eight kilometers away. Five miles away, you can hear a male lion roar. They can really roar. That's one of their gifts, okay? So here's how it works. The male lion creeps around to one side of where the antelopes are. Antelope, not antelopes, antelope. Okay, and, and it pops up and it roars. Really good at roaring, okay? And the goal is that those antelope would be on the run then, and when they run, they would run back to where the female lions, the lionesses, are waiting. They're the killing machines, and now it's over. That's what your enemy wants to do to you. He's a roaring lion. See, too, the titles that the devil is given in the Bible are tempter and accuser, tempter and accuser. So he's constantly going to be tempting you, tempting you to settle for lust instead of love, for greed instead of generosity. Settling you tempting you to settle for less than who you were created to be in your thoughts, in your actions, and in your motives. He's going to consistently do that. He's going to consistently tempt you. And you're going to end up in a place every once in a while, not the goal, but every once in a while you're going to end up in a place where you realize, I blew it. We call that sin, that I gave in. And then instantly the enemy switches from the tempter to the accuser. Now he becomes a roaring lion. Remember, what does he want? He wants you to stagnate. He wants you to just stay in one spot your whole life. So what he does is he becomes a roaring lion of accusation, condemnation. And what he wants you to do now is to be on the run. 
And once you're on the run, you're always going to settle for one of two things. Number one, you're going to settle for delusion. Delusion. Delusion like me walking by that table when they say, hey, any news in our drinks? And me going, yeah, the news is great. This is what your enemy wants you to do. To look back at your day and go, I'm good. I was an idiot to my wife. That's her bad. She brought it on herself. Treated my kids poorly. That's their fault. Nothing to do with me. I got this brutal temper. It's the government. Stupid government. You know, it's always somebody else's fault. It's never your fault. That's delusion. That's delusion. And here's the sad thing. You know it. This roar of accusation comes, and you run away from reality. And now it's almost like the the person who says, man, I want to know exactly as much today as I knew when I was seven years old. You know what I mean? Because here's the thing. What you're saying is, I never want to change. I never want to grow. I'm just perfect the way I am. What a sad way to live. Be careful what you wish for. You might get it. You want stagnation? Easiest way to do it? Easiest way to do it? Delusion. Self-justification over and over and over and over again. You will stay exactly where you are today, and the world is watching on the edge of their seats, so to speak, waiting to see love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, but it ain't there. So he roars, and he sends you on the run. If it's not delusion, the second thing that he would love for you is just defeat. Just defeat. Self-hatred. Instead of self-justification, it's just self-hatred. You come to that moment, right? And you, you allow that moment to define you. So instead of that moment being a sin, now you're a sinner. Now you're a sinner, but you're not. Ooh, some people are mad at me right now. Listen, I want to I, I make sure you heard that. You're not. 2 Corinthians 5 says, if anyone, is in a, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Bible says that God separates our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. That's infinity. In other words, because of what Jesus did in that moment, you're a saint, not a sinner but the enemy wants to send you on the run. And he wants you into this place of self-hatred where you give up on your dreams, you give up on your destiny, you give up on the person that God created you to be. It's like me. I wanted to make money. I wanted to be on that stupid patio, but in that moment, I really wanted to vault the fence and keep walking. That's what defeat does to you spiritually. You give up on everything that God created for you to be in that moment. So what's the third alternative? The third alternative is just deal with it. Just stand. See, sin isn't the killer. Sin isn't the killer. That, or, that, 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 that sin that you committed wasn't the goal, but it's not the killer. 1 Corinthians 15 says it this way, death has no more sting. Sin has been defeated. When Jesus died and rose again, that sin isn't your killer. The killer is running from the roaring lion. See, he's been defeated, but he's not done, so he continues to 
roar. So what we do instead of delusion, what we do instead of defeat, we just deal with it. You just stand. You just stand. It's funny, the band played a song earlier called Run to the Father. Run to the Father again and again and again and again. And metaphorically, that's so powerful to me. Metaphorically, that's so powerful. I love that song. But you're standing, right? And there's the enemy, and he's roaring. He was a tempter, but now he's an accuser. Does that make sense? And he's roaring, you blew it. So now deny it. Pretend. Be deluded or be defeated. You're horrible. You're awful. You're dirty. You'll never amount to anything. And he's roaring. And the song says, run to the Father. That's a great idea. You know what happens if you turn and run to the Father? You know how many steps you have to take to to reach him? He's there. Right there. Every single time. And you say, God, it's not good. That thought that motive, that word, that action. It's not good, and now there's this roar of accusation, and, 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 and God says to the roaring lion, Shh. He shuts it up. Now you say, it's not good. The person that I know that I was created to be, not in that moment. I want love, but I settle for lust. I want kindness, but I settle for cruelty. I want generosity, but at that moment I settled for greed. I wanted to be selfless, but I settled, settled for selfish. And God look, looks at you and he says this, I got you. I got you. That's it. That's repentance. Repentance is hard because repentance is growth, but I'll tell you one thing. It sure beats the alternative. Back in 1757, right around the time West was born, um, a guy named Robert Robinson wrote a hymn called Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. 1757, Robert Robinson writes this him called Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. You know, he was only 22 years old when he wrote that song. He had become a follower of Jesus when he was 17, which was like a really, really dramatic turnaround in his life. See, Robert Robinson's dad died when he was eight years old, and he kind of went off the rails. Began to run the streets and get into fights and cause all kinds of trouble. So much so that by the time he was 14 years old, Robert Roberts' mom says, I can't do anything with you anymore. She sent him to London to live with some relatives hoping they could help him, but it didn't help at all. 14 years old, he moves to London. He's running the streets. He heads up a street gang in London, making more trouble, getting in more fights. When he was 17 years old, this guy named George Whitfield came to London. And Robert Robertson ended up listening to this guy named George Whitfield preach a sermon. And he gave his life to Jesus at 17 years old. And at 20, Robert Robertson became a pastor in a town called Norfolk. And at 22, he wrote that hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. 22 years old, he wrote that. But over the next 
couple years, Robert began to listen to the whispers of the voices of his past. And temptation led to compromise. And one compromise led to another compromise, led to another compromise, led to some destructive patterns eventually into addiction. And it wasn't many years after he wrote that hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, that Robert Robertson was not a pastor. And to all outward appearances was definitely not a follower of Jesus. In 1789, Robert Robertson was 54 years old. His body was shutting down after years and decades of hard, hard, hard living. He felt utterly defeated. His body shutting down and he's on a stagecoach one day on his way from London to Cambridge. The last thing that he wanted at this stage of his life, the last thing that he wanted was to have a conversation with anyone. He just wanted to be left alone. So he was pretty relieved that day that there was only one other person on the stagecoach with him, a younger woman. And he pointedly ignored her. Did not make eye contact, pretended he was sleeping, and did not have to have one single conversation with her for the entire day-long journey from London to Cambridge. Stood about an hour outside of Cambridge, and he hears her sniffling like she's crying or something. He makes a mistake. He looks up. Their eyes meet. She says, sir, in doing my daily devotions, I've come across this hymn, and it's filled me with tears of joy. I need to read it to you. Robert Robinson is 54 years old. His body is shutting down. He's utterly defeated. The last thing in the world that he wants that day is to have somebody read a hymn to him. But before he can tell her, I'm good, no thanks, she starts to read. She reads to him in 1789 a hymn called, Come Thou Fount. Of every blessing. She had no idea that she was reading it to the author. It says this, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it. Mount of thy redeeming love. She keeps reading and reading and reading and finally she gets to the last verse. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let that grace now like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. So by the time she's done reading, she looks up and he's got tears streaming down his face. He says, Madame, I'm the poor, unhappy man who composed that hymn many, many, many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to feel today what I felt back then. Overcoming her shock, she looked at this guy about an hour outside of Cambridge and she said, but sir, his grace is still unending. The streams of mercy are still flowing. So what better moment 
than right now. So in 1789, on a stagecoach, about one hour outside of Cambridge, 54-year-old Robert Robinson, with his body shutting down after decades and decades of hard living, got down on his knees. And I would imagine that the conversation he had with God was something like this. God, it's not good. It's not good. Years and years and years of compromise. Years and years and years of addiction. Here's the person that I wanted to be, and here's who I am. And the news gets worse, God. I don't think I can ever pull it together again. And in a stagecoach about, a while, about an hour outside of Cambridge, England, in 1789, I believe God answered him and said something like this. Hey, Robert. I got you. That's it. That's repentance. It's not delusion, pretending we're someone we're not. It's not defeat. It's just dealing with it. Going to God who loves us fully and completely and finding that he has never left us and he never will and he's got us. Why don't we close for a moment? If you could just bow your heads and close your eyes. So what's God speaking to you today? Are there areas in your life that you look and maybe, maybe they've been defeating you? Maybe you've been kind of dealing with delusion and today you kind of have to come face to face. I want to give you the moment just to have a conversation with God right now. most important step of repentance, by the way, is the first one. So I don't know whether you're here in person right now or whether you're online or listening to the podcast later. I'm not sure exactly where you're at. But I wonder if you're starting to feel like there, there's this person that you want to be, but you end up frustrating because you end up frustrated because you're just not there. So I have good news for you. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped into human history for you. He died so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you don't have to be defeated, so you don't have to live in this place of perpetual guilt, perpetual shame, perpetual self-hatred. He set us free from all of that. And then he rose again so that we can have the strength, the strength to grow one next step at a time. But the most important step is the first one. So if you're in a place right now where you've never accepted that free gift of forgiveness and salvation from God. If you've never taken that first step to claim what Jesus purchased for you through his death and resurrection, with all heads bowed 
and all eyes closed. I just want to give you the chance to do that right now. So whether you're online or in person, can you just raise your hand nice and high so I can pray for you? That's awesome. Awesome. And even if you're online, I would appreciate it if something powerful about just responding. Just responding. It's great. For those of you who have your hands up, you can put them down right now. And I just ask you to pray silently along as I pray out loud. So Jesus, here's the truth. I humbly come to you because I need you. There's a person I want to be, but I'm not always that person. And so today, Jesus, I ask you to help me. I pray that you would forgive my sins. I set down my shame and my regret and my sins right now, and I walk away. Thank you that you died for me. Thank you also, Jesus, that you rose again for me. I pray that you would give me the strength, and I know that you will, to follow you, to grow one next step at a time, today, tomorrow, and forever. I love you, and I'm thankful in your name. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate church? Is that okay? Three things. One, if you just raised your hand online or in person, do me a favor and text the keyword LIFE to 604-670-3040. The goal is growth. We do it together. The goal is growth. We do it together. So text LIFE to 604, whatever that number is. Sick of saying it. Uh, secondly, this is a big one. I want you to text the keyword FIVE to that same number. We're trying to really make this year a year of prayer. I know I've said that a ton of times, right? And so I want to send you a guided prayer again this week. So we're going to add to review and rejoice. We're going to add repentance. So powerful. It's not defeat. It's victory. It's not weakness. It's strength. It's going to be amazing. So if you haven't done that yet, please text that keyword five. And lastly, I honestly can't wait to see you next week. It's going to be amazing. I love you guys a lot. We'll see you soon. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.